0: Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Brad Webb, where the topics are relevant and serve with truth, transparency, and some much-needed realness. It's a real gospel gumbo, if you please. Here's your host, Brad Webb.
1: Hey guys, welcome back today for another episode of Real Talk, and we are in the middle of a conversation today, or on the beginning of a conversation, should I say, about relevancy and what does it mean to be relevant. Uh, Christy and I kind of dove into this subject last week and just how it feels like there's so many people that are searching for um, relevancy, And, and if you think about that context, it kind of when you start looking at the world, it really begins to bring things into a whole different aspect of it. So today, what I'd like to do is just dive a little bit deeper into that conversation. I've asked Ashley Mack to join us, and uh, Ashley and I have been together now since we first connected back in 2008, 2009. Uh, 2009. And so Ashley, just tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, it's great to have you today on the program here.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Ashley, I've been working for Family of Grace uh for seven years now um i am i wouldn't say a native of this area but i've been here for most of my life um and uh graduated college at lsua and then immediately started working for family of grace so I'm happy to be here
1: all right and it's great to have you today and and i thought about this subject because the thing that christy and i were talking about is how it seems like so many people are searching for relevance matter of fact um there's this thing, and it's kind of her uh, um, pet peeve, and she talked a little bit about it in the first program. And it's this whole concept today now of uh, professional um, people who are making a profession out of promoting, yeah. like like on Instagram. As a matter yeah. of fact, I I was watching the news this morning, and uh, on a commercial, um, Doctor Phil was uh, going to be interviewing someone who uh quit their job because they wanted to be a professional influencer mm. is is what it's called. Yeah. And um and that's kind of where we are. And then right after that when when, when um CBS came back on they were talking about what was their big thing of the day and today marks the 50th anniversary i think of landing on the moon and and oh, yeah. how in my generation um the aspect you know everybody wanted to be an astronaut or a policeman or something like that and mm-hmm. um and they did an interview and and this was this really blew me away uh gail king's thing was well uh 11% of kids only want to be an astronaut and they were between the ages of 8 and 12 and i thought about that i told christy I so, said, well, that's really not uh, unbelievable because a kid that's eight, you know, we canceled our space program, basically. Uh, so we've, we've been hitchhiking to the moon. You know, it's just yeah. not what it was when when I was a kid, you know, or even when you were, you were a kid. Yeah,
0: it wasn't the thing to be. Yeah.
1: And so, uh, but the number one thing that eight, 12-year-olds wanted to be was YouTube sensations. Mm-hmm. And uh, matter of fact, professional athletes had fallen to number three. Wow. Wow. That, that really, it really surprised wow, me. Wow, yeah. And so I thought, man, that ties right into today's conversation because the defin- the greatest way to understand being relevant, uh, relevancy in the word relevant, is to matter.
0: Mm-hmm. That,
1: that's what people are looking for. And so when they look at all these professional influencers and YouTube sensations, you know, yesterday was Bradley's birthday, and I, it, for some reason, he the greatest thing for him is to go shop for his present. You know, like, we bought him some presents, but he was bound and determined to go shopping. And so he just loves to walk the aisles and and roaming through the toys and you know there was that the kid ryan you know the mm. uh, uh the youtube star the youtube yeah. star you know the professional influencer really and he has his whole section at target and then there was chip and joanne and the home decor section you know and so everything's about influencing and so people feel like they have to go to the extreme to matter and so i want to talk to you about that today and what does that what does it mean to matter in your life and then how does that tie back into the church? Yeah. Because churches are struggling to exist. Matter of fact, I told you guys yesterday that I felt like probably in Alexandria, within the next three to five years, there'll probably be another three to four churches that close down.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's a daunting reality to kind of accept and and wrap our minds around is that, you know, within our And we're not a big city, but we're we're a fairly good sized city that three to five churches Mm -hmm. are going to not exist anymore.
1: Yeah. And when you think about that, you know, because we talk about the the impact of the population within 10 minutes of our building, there's one hundred and ten thousand people and 80,000 of those are unchurched, you know. And so like we're not we're. It, I guess this will breaks my heart because those were the numbers when I moved here back in 2005 and started family of grace on a napkin and, you know, dreaming about that. And how can I impact the lostness and the hopelessness of central Louisiana? And yet now all these years later, it, it's the numbers the are the same. Yeah. And yet we're missing this many more churches because probably in the last Three to five years. It's been four years since we did this merger with Baptist right. Temple. yeah. And uh, during that time, I mean, I bet from that time to today, there's probably been three or four that have closed.
0: Right, yeah.
1: So I think the church has lost its its relevancy, its connectiveness, its, its mattering in the community. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk to you about what happened in your life and how you found relevancy yeah. and how you found what it means to matter and how the church did or did not play a part in that. So so why don't you just jump in and tell us a little bit about what church meant to you in the beginning and what you saw uh, in that context and how how relevant was it to you?
0: Yeah. So um at a young age, my family and I, we, we went to church. I wouldn't say I grew up in church, but I knew what church was. My family was, uh my father and mother did take us to church um, up until I, I would say about the age eight or nine. I'm real fuzzy on my time. We can't fact check that, but, um, yeah, about the age eight or nine, we were in church and, uh, pretty involved with what we were doing. Um, I do remember a point too where, um, I think it was my older sister who my parents asked, you know, what do you want to do for your birthday? And she was like, I want to go to church. So it was a staple in our lives. It was something that was consistent. It was something that we did as a family. Um, so, uh, this, this kind of wraps into, you know, at about age six or seven, I want to say probably seven. Um, I remember sitting in church one day and it was an after normal hour service Mm -hmm. and, um, the preacher's preaching. And I, of course, being seven years old, wasn't really paying attention, but I knew something was happening because people were standing up and clapping and, you know, being, (laughs) being elated. And so, uh, my father kind of stands up and looks at me and goes, come here. And I'm like, I don't want to go anywhere. (laughs) What are we doing? He's like, come, come walk with me. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm a child. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. So I walk down the aisle with him. And the next thing I know, I'm praying with a pastor and the next Sunday I'm being baptized. So um, from a young age, I think um, I knew what I was, I knew what was expected, but I didn't know what that looked like to live out. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what the process was. I just knew something in my life was supposed to change after that moment. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, a couple of things happened and then, um, my mom got a new job and we weren't in church as regularly as we once were. And then eventually we just, we just quit going. Mm -hmm. Um, so it had, it, it started out being something that, um, was absolutely a must in my life. And then turned into something that uh, was just optional. You know, we were a family that loved the Lord. We were a family that knew of the Lord and we would, you know, study the word every now and again. But it wasn't anything that that um, needed to be prevalent Mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. So um, Mm -hmm. fast forward to uh, my high school years when uh, I'd made some friends my junior, senior year that, um, were really involved in church and they loved Mm -hmm. their church. Um, they were, matter of fact, they had invited me several times to go to church with them. And I just, I would find any excuse to not because Sunday mornings were for rest, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I was in the band and so Friday nights were crazy, get in late. And then Saturday nights, you know, we hung out and did whatever. And then Sundays were a day of rest. You got prepared for your week. So church wasn't really a, a, a thought Mm -hmm. Church wasn't something that I wanted to go to. But um, in talking with them and building that relationship with them and us getting closer just as a friend group, um, you know, I found that there was something different. And I remembered you know, I, you know, I, you know, they would ask me, you know, are you saved? I'd be like, yeah, I'm saved. I got mm-hmm. baptized when baptized. I was, when I was like seven. So, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm good to go. I'm golden, you know? And I, I remember using the phrase, you know, the Lord knows my heart,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. you know,
0: <laughs> and that's, oh, that's, that's,
1: that's churchy. like,
0: yeah. And so I you mean, weren't a
1: disciple, but you knew Christian no, needs. I did
0: know Christian needs. And so, um, I knew enough, I knew enough to get me out of any sticky situation. Mm-hmm. So people would be like, you know, well, what does the Bible say about this? And I'd be like, you know what? God knows my heart and I do what I do. You do what you do. And we'll just we'll we'll call it we'll call it a tie. And, you know, whoever gets to heaven, we'll find out then. And so, you know, it was just you know, it wasn't anything that I took to heart. But um, talking with those friends and and becoming closer with them and their parents and being able to be in an environment where I could ask those questions, you know, that to me spoke more than anything else I had ever done Mm -hmm. is being able to ask those questions and not feel like I was doing something wrong. And so
1: those friends, if I remember your story correctly, those friends ended up going to work at tall timbers.
0: Yes, they did. And
1: and so um, that really, I guess, and and boy, what what Ashley is saying though is um, important because those friends in her life, she didn't really understand what they had or was experiencing and she didn't really understand what she was missing, but she understood there was enough in their life to make you inquisitive. Yeah,
0: there and, was enough there to make me ask. And the so question. they went to
1: Tall Timbers, and that took that took took you to Tall Timbers the following year. Or well,
0: yeah, a friend of mine had been working there for a couple of years, and then he asked us just as friends. He was like, you know, it's our senior year, it's our senior summer. We want to spend the summer together. Let's all just work together at this camp. And we're like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. And so we did. And that summer, I think, was um, was a pivotal point in my life, knowing, you know, knowing in the back of my mind that that I knew who God was and I knew that there was more than just there was more to it than me just standing here and saying, yeah, I know about God and and whatever. Um, But that summer, there was really a change in, okay, you know, this is something that, is a lifestyle and not necessarily just something that i can tack on to who i am like mm-hmm. it's either you know it's am i either going to be all in or i'm going to just kind of fade mm-hmm. out into the into the darkness so
1: and so that's where you and i connected yes uh what was interesting when we connected the first time it, first time i ever met you it was probably the lowest point in my adult life mm-hmm. and uh man i was just struggling to exist but there was a mutual friend that we had matt Cousin. shout out to you matt and yeah. uh we were gonna do a first ever mission camp the Tall Timbers had ever done in the city camp, and and I was gonna be the host of it and the facilitator of it and stuff. And um, that whole context, I remember telling Matt, "I just can't do this." Hmm. Um, you know, I was just in such a low point, I can't do this. And uh, he said, "Do you think you can just show up? Can you just show up and be here?" Hmm. And uh, I said, well, "I think I can do that." He said, well, "If you do that, I can I can take care of everything else." And so. I just showed up and yeah, uh,
0: and you let me drive your Mustang convertible. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was
1: my greatest strength at that day. I got so
0: much flack for that. They were so mad at me. They were like, How did you get the keys? And I was like, Right place, right time.
1: <laughs> yeah. Actually, the real truth of that is because you stood out all week mm. because you were a leader mm. and you were the tip of the spear, and people were looking to you for leadership. And, and I got, I looked at you and I was like, You know what, uh, man, if Matt trusts her and she's leading this thing, then, uh, I can trust her. So, Mm. so, uh, man, for all those years, if you've been jealous uh, of Ashley driving (laughs) that Mustang convertible for a while, that's how it happened. You know, I mean, you were relevant. It mattered. You stood out. And, um, and so from that, I guess, uh, eventually you ended up, it it took a little while. It took a
0: while. Yeah. So, um, going through college, my freshman year at college, I actually, I was, I moved away. I, swore my senior year I was like I'm not staying in Alexandria I'm getting out um so moved to Monroe to go to school and one of my the friends one of the friends that I worked with we actually were roommates at at, that college and so um she was like we got to get involved in the BCM and I was like cool what's a BCM and she told me you know it's Baptist you know it's a it's a Baptist collegiate ministry they're on campus they're here for you for you to get help for you to talk to them for you to you know do whatever and they do a lot of fun stuff I was like cool let's go I'm game for anything at this point. It's a new chance to start over. It's a chance to, you know, kind of figure out who I am and what I'm going to mm. do for the rest of my life. So I'm involved in everything. Um, so we get there. And I mean, it's an eye opening experience, because going back to what I knew of church from what I was growing up and seeing what the BCM was and seeing how um, there's a whole massive conglomerate of people from different walks of life walking into that building, knowing who God is and knowing, you know, what He's done for them and them being confident in that was eye-opening for me. I had never seen anything like mm-hmm. that. You know, for it from my past, you know, church has always just been this thing that you do so that you don't go to hell. You mm-hmm. know, it was your it was your safety ticket. It's your it's your life vest. It's just something that you claim because you don't want to go to hell. It wasn't anything that you lived out. It wasn't anything that was um, applicable Mm -hmm. to your life. So seeing these people, you know, being in college and seeing people that are actually like die hard for God, you know, that are actually living it out. And they're, you know, telling other people about it and they're excited about it. And it's not this, you know, stale, boring thing. Mm -hmm. It's living, it's breathing, Mm -hmm. it's active. Um, That opened my eyes up to who God truly was and how he wanted to move in my life. So, yeah, shout out to <coughs> ULMBCM, Todd Strain.
1: <laughs> All right, there you go, Todd. And that is one thing the Baptists do really well is that collegiate ministry on, mo- on most campuses that yeah. it creates a safe space. And a lot of times kids are first, uh, they're really coming to their understanding of what their relationship with Christ should look like. Because prior to that point, it's my relationship with Christ look like my parents. Absolutely. And my understanding looked like my parents. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, what, what it gave me a chance for it getting in, 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 that time in college, that whole time I was at ULM gave me an opportunity to see who I wanted to be. And I think that's really mm-hmm. what college is there for more than just academics. You find out who I you think are. one of the
1: things that we could just go back and touch on in a minute, because you talked about the church was just saving us from hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know a transformational moment in my life was when i was in, in seminary or college and, and i had a class his name was dr yukovich and uh he is a professor and he had been a youth pastor for a while and and he had shared a story in there and it was a youth ministry class i was taking actually and um he talked about this boy uh that he just had such a burden for to come to know christ and one day this young eighth grader approached him and said uh dr Yukovich, he said i i appreciate that you don't want me to go to hell it means a lot he said but uh man you don't care anything about me mm. and he started sharing his story and i really think that's where we the church has lost a lot of us mattering mm. and being relevant God. is that we which we should, that should be our greatest thing is to get people to heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the evangelical church has been so passionate about winning people because we don't want them to spend an eternity separated from Christ, but we forget to show them how to live. Yeah. And the church has spent so much time telling people what they ought to not do. Yeah. Like, you are not do that, but they never teach them how not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like yeah. people don't just wake up in the morning and say, hey, I, I, how can I go? I want to have an adulterous relationship today. Yeah. You know, like, how can I screw that up? Yeah. You know, how can I screw my marriage up? Yeah. I mean, but because we are on this platform of just telling people what they ought to not do when they know what they ought to not do. Yeah. But we don't tell them how not to do it. Yeah. And so um, that really changed my whole philosophy of ministry that is where my philosophy began to shift because this young preteen boy basically said uh you know man i'm raising myself mom's out all night with different guys every night and she's on drugs and this and that and you know i think the church has been so um um driven by eternity that we forgot that people have a good 70 to 80, 90 years of living here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things um, we'll get to your story in a minute here um, about what you're doing now, really, for Family of Grace in the inner city, because that changed my philosophy and that brought you to Family of Grace eventually. And I think that's where your whole, you just didn't know what to think when you really met me in a uh, typical ministerial context,
0: Yeah, not like...
1: (laughs) preacher driving the convertible Mustang through the neighborhood. But, um,
0: no, yeah, what you
1: you came to church, you came to family of I came to
0: Yeah. I started coming to church here because, uh, just as a, as a summer staff at tall Timbers, tall Timbers is a Baptist camp, um, is a church camp basically. And so as a staff, we decided we were going to go to different churches and just, mm-hmm. you know, hang out and see what was happening. So, um, we, uh, we, we came that Sunday morning and the first Sunday I was there pastor Brad from the pulpit, just busted out in song. And I was like, this This is is nuts. First of all, he's white (laughs) and he sounds like a black man, like just through and through and then he busted out in song. I was like, I got to come back. (laughs) If this is the first day, I mean, I got to come back and see what this is all about. So, um, yeah, that, that was a huge turning point for me too. That and, um, you know, you just being so tangible and so real. I think that was my one of my first encounters with a pastor that seemed like he was just living everyday life. There was no facade. There was no... Um, yeah, I'm the pastor, but, you know, I've got all these other people that mm-hmm. you that you come in contact with before you come in contact with me. Um, you always gave the you always were the one who made the contact. You know, you were always the one who, uh, you know, came down and shook the hands and, and, and wanted to know who I was, wanted to know who we were, wanted mm-hmm. to know what we were doing and, you know, be able to help in any kind of way. And that was what was different. Um, every other church I had been to, even in my college career you know, visiting the different churches and, and trying to find out, you know, where I was going to fit in. Church always seemed like this big production. It always seemed like this big, um, this big sort of bubble, if you will, of just people that were living right, doing right, and nothing was wrong. Mm. And I never got to see people struggle. I always thought I had to hide my struggle. And I think that's the, that's, that's, again where the church is missing relevancy is that people don't let people see the struggle.
1: So would you say today that we are in a place of we have two two different dichotomies in the church world and one is um. don't let people know you're struggling don't let them know your child's struggling or whatever mm-hmm. you know tuck it in clean it up come to church is yeah. one dichotomy and the other one is uh, well you know we're just people and we're just sinners saved by grace so just live however you want to and you know yeah. we don't have many expectations for you here yeah and um. Uh, that's kind of what I yeah, see. It's like this extreme, and then there's Jesus in the in middle, the middle saying, with his arms stretched out open yeah. wide, saying, "What in the world are y'all doing?" Yeah, I you think. Know.
0: Yeah, I think that happened. I think the salvation
1: pendulum, with no expectation. Yeah, you know, and yeah. then and then there's there's um, you know expectation without salvation. salvation.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just
1: we, we want lost people to live holy, but yet we want holy people to live like they're lost.
0: Yeah, and how does that? How do you? there's no guardrails in that scenario at all at at, at either point of that, of that spectrum. And I think that is what it is because people who've swung so far to want to the side of, you know, tuck it all in, be nice, be be neat, wear a suit, wear a tie, wear, you know, the Beaver Cleaver family, we're, you know, leave it to Beaver family and um, you know, everything's perfect and we're, we're good and there's no problems, you know, Mm -hmm. be like us. And then, you know, a lot of people started seeing through that and then swinging to the whole other side of, you know what? It is what it is. You know, I'm just gonna live my We're gonna life. We all mess up. Yeah, so let's, do and, yeah, it together. So let's yeah. mess up together. Yeah. Let's let's live and sin together. And I think that's the struggle of today's church in relevancy. And the world sees that. And so mm-hmm. that's what they're attacking left, right, and sideways, you know, is you know I remember the when church doesn't know what they're doing. So just just don't even worry about them.
1: When we started Family of grace back in two thousand seven when we finally started having a public service in January and we started going out in the neighborhoods, there wasn't but about for there's four families, so there's yeah. about 20 people in total. And um I remember they were like, so what are we going to say when we go out there? Like when we knock on the door, what are we going to say? What, what's our, what's our, what's our line? What's our
0: line? Yeah.
1: And I said, you know what what's our line should be is I'm sorry.
0: Mm.
1: When somebody opens on the door, opens the door, we should just say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we've missed it. I'm sorry we haven't been here, <laughs> you know, and, and, and how can we pray for you today? We're trying to make, we're trying to build relationships, make it right. And I still think the church, the church still has the professional Christians, mm. you know, that's people that are are theologically trained and yeah. understand the seminary world. And we try to duplicate that through the local church. They have this mindset that there's no need to repent And uh, in that context, it's a total different aspect of it. And, um, um, man, I think the church almost needs to go back to our communities and say, I'm sorry. Wow. You know.
0: Wow. There's a lot of weight to that. Yeah.
1: Because we want want the city, because most churches exist. Expect the city to exist for them, and they have this "we're here, we're going to rescue you" mentality. Mm -hmm. When really, what needs to happen is we just need to roll up our sleeves and get get down in the trenches where they are, because we have to go back to them. Because you know, again, you know, when I was a kid, people want to be astronauts and firemen and policemen Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff, and today they want to be YouTube sensations and or professional influencers. And so, like the model of Christianity in the past. I believe Ashley is what's created this whole un unch- not unchurched dynamic, but underchurched hmm. in the theological realm. To be underchurched means basically, man, I love Jesus, but this church business, I'm done it's, with yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's man. for the birds. Yeah. I'm done with it. I'm so not touchable. It's so shallow, um, and this and that, and and you know, um, but we love you as long as you're okay and you can contribute to us and be.
0: And be helpful to us, yeah. And, yeah, and work for us, but as soon as you're not don't don't so come I think right away, because yeah.
1: we met on the mission field, so right away, you realized that family of grace was probably a church, it really existed for the city,
0: right, and that's what drew me, and in.
1: so you were you were you were in college at that time,, mm-hmm. you were at ULM. but I don't remember when you came back to LSUA. I u a I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember that transition, but you were in nursing because that's what you wanted to do with your life. You wanted yeah, to be a so nurse. The,
0: actually, the year I met you was the summer that I decided to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that was 2009. So 2009, I, you know, I was I was trying to be in nursing school at ULM, and uh, the door was just slammed shut. There was no possible way for me to get in there. So uh, the Lord had closed that door, and so I moved back home and forced open another one. Um, so. In college and nursing school, trying to figure out life and what I'm going to do.
1: To how am um, I going to matter? How
0: am I going to matter? <laughs> because in my mind, uh, you know, and, and it contribute that a lot to kind of just just under the the guidance of of Family of Grace Church and uh, Matt kuson Shout out again, who kind of helped me cycle through that thought process um, of you know, I want to be a nurse. This is how I see this working out, you know, and my plan was to be a nurse, go, go travel, go be a travel nurse, be an international travel nurse, go to all these different places in the world, start, you know, set up mission camps or whatever, and um, little medical camps, little medical stations and and contribute that way. That's how I thought I was going to, you know, matter. impact the kingdom and matter. And then, you know, the Lord came through and just slammed that door shut too. And he was like, you know, I have, I have a purpose for you. It's not what you want to do, but if you trust me, mm. if you trust me, say that I can. You, your life will, will matter in ways you never knew, you never thought possible. So, uh, me being rebellious, having that rebellious spirit, it took me three more years. And to I, say I, I yes. did have
1: the privilege of a front, front row. Seat. <laughs> you did. I had a front row seat to the Ashley Max to show, that train so. wreck. <laughs> and, uh, and that was you good. saw that train wreck. That yeah. was.
0: Whew. That was rough. That was Bre- rough. Bree Bre- just said, I-, "I tell everybody that in front row seat." So, well, <laughs> you've first seen a lot of people's yeah. lives, yeah. But yeah, that train wreck happened, and uh, the 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 interesting thing about that was is that as soon as it happened, as soon as that door slammed, and I was no longer able to be uh, to study to be a nurse or become a nurse, um, it wasn't even that I was sad. A weight had been lifted off. Mm. It was like the pressure had been taken off. Um, And it wasn't pressure from outside. It was all pressure that I had drummed up myself, you know. So, but, you know, walking through that with good counsel, um, with solid Christian counsel, really was what helped kind of ease that transition. Um, I was relieved when I got out. And then, honestly, I think the next day, um, I don't know if it was the next day or no, it was, it was when we came back from our vacation from after I graduated, I graduated college with a degree. Um, I did do that. So I was like, great, I'm out. We're good to go. And then we came back from vacation. And the the Sunday after that, I looked, Brad looked at me and he saw, he said, uh, you know, what are you doing Monday? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> I'm literally doing nothing. Um, and he was like, come to the office. I need you. I was like, great. <laughs> I need to be needed. And so, um, you know, that was just another answered prayer because as soon as that door was shut, I prayed, you know, I told God, I was like, God, you know who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what job I need. You know what I'm good at. Just open that door.
1: And and so deep down, and I didn't learn this till a a bit later, but deep down, there was an an unconfessed desire in your heart that you never uttered to anybody else. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it just didn't seem like a, a realistic aspect. But what was the one thing that you really saw yourself probably doing or wanted to maybe do or you just wanted to dream about uh, in central Louisiana?
0: So the summer of 2009 was a pivotal summer for apparently both me and Brad.
1: It was very <laughs> pivotal so, for me. And uh, so
0: that summer, as I was working at Tall Timbers um, and just you know slaving away 14-hour days and the and god spoke to me he was just like you know this area you know needs help like with kids and and you know your heart is to change lives at the most pivotal point mm-hmm. and the most pivotal point for most people um as early as is, is childhood is is before they get to you know high school and in college and all of that so um you know the best way for you to do that is to kind of The vision he gave me was to start some kind of resource center. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but, you know, he told me, I called you back home. You need to come back Mm -hmm. home. You need to come back where you started and you need to invest in this community. You know, the
1: interesting part about that too is that I don't remember what, was it, was it two thousand? Nine or 2010 that that summer that we were set to go with our first summer interns Mm -hmm. and the person leading it uh had to step down and so like at the last moment uh i call matt matt since you
0: yeah um
1: and you led those summer summer staffers that summer and um that's where we first connected with the kids yeah was that summer yeah and um through that, I think many things has led family of grace to where it is today, but you've been there every step of the way and and so there's a couple of things in our closing thoughts here um, how does it what how would you describe the context of now being part of a relationship with Christ? through the local church the difference in that like how does that matter to you now Mm -hmm. versus what you understood before and then how does how does it matter to you like i mean you work hard i mean you work as many hours around here as i do and Mm. sometimes more probably and um um you know people looking at you from the outside would say why are you working there You know, why are you working so hard? Why are you doing that? And is there really a future there? And, and, and the cool part is that, you know, God's opened so many doors for you since that first summer that you on the last minute stepped up and started working with those kids in the city. And then how that has translated through family of grace to now have the mentoring ministries and the nonprofit Mm. that family of grace is starting and, and what God put in your heart, Yeah. What God put in your heart and what you're doing today is exact same thing. When your desires became his desires, Mm -hmm. you know, he said he'll give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. But we got to get to that point where we have a a fundamental relationship with with him that in that context, we're able to see him. So just kind of wrap that up on those two aspects. and, And how does that matter? because cuz you're walking in relevancy. If not, you you'd be at the, you'd be somewhere else I'd making be. more money. Yeah. So,
0: I think from the point of what I knew about church to what to what I what I knew when I was younger to what I know now about church is that now I know um the importance of fellowship. And um, I don't mean fellowship in that we just sit down and eat. I mean the the intimacy of being with people who are like-minded in that their worldview is a biblical worldview and they Mm. um, they help guide you not as you know this is what you should be doing to get a 401k but in everyday life and everything that is applicable from the Bible they help you walk that out understand it and and draw meaning from it Mm -hmm. Um, find you a good mentor You know, find you somebody that you can sit down with and ask those hard questions. And then people of the church that have been the professional Christians, be willing to let somebody walk through and kind of meditate on those hard questions let them ask you Mm -hmm. know let them be real and let them ask those questions that is so important we should not be condemning people for asking why does God let bad things happen Mm -hmm. you should be able to sit there and be open with them and say you know what I don't understand why God lets bad Mm -hmm. things happen all the time I don't understand why there's death in this world I I don't understand it but you know what I know I know my God is faithful Mm -hmm. And I know God does not cause anything to happen without him getting glory, without there being some kind of, you know, end goal to this. Mm -hmm. And that's where trusting and never waste to hurt, never (laughs) waste to hurt. And so I think the important thing for us as a church to understand and know is that we may not have all of the answers, Mm -hmm. but we have hope. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to translate. That's how the church becomes relevant again is, is telling people of the greatest hope that we know. And being real, you know, just sitting down with somebody and saying, you know, I know you're hurting or I know this doesn't make sense, but I'm going to be here with you. Ask me all of the hard questions, you know, ask me all the hard questions. Don't be afraid to question why God is who he is. And Let's walk through that. I
1: remember when I was going 2009, when I was going through that rough time, a a friend of mine came and uh, it really changed my whole ministry perspective. He said, what do you want to do? I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "How oh, do you want to cry? If you do, I'll cry with you. yeah, he said, Are you feel like laughing he said i i i I'll help make you laugh. I'll figure out a way to make you laugh. You know, you want to sit here in silence?" He said "I'll sit here in silence with you, and that so grabbed me, yeah, because at that moment, I realized this person loves me, he loves me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not just because I'm he wants me to spend eternity with Jesus, but he wants to walk with me through this whole aspect, yeah, which is what Jesus called us to do. Because in Second Corinthians 5, he says, And now then you are an ambassador, mm-hmm. which is my representative. And that person was such a representative of Christ in my life, mm-hmm. and I, man. I just want to sh- I want to share a couple of thoughts in this last moment. Maybe you're one of those people that's given up on church but not on God. I mean, you still love Jesus. You're not even ashamed to have a hunk if you love Jesus bumper sticker, but church has got you high and left you low so many times. Um you're just given up on it. And you're living in a cave of isolation, loving Jesus, watching Preachers on TV listening to podcasts like this one. But that's great. I'm not telling you you're sinning. But Jesus did not transform your life to leave you in isolation because he wants you to matter. There you go. And when you are living in a cave of isolation, surrounded by people everywhere, you can't matter. So find a ministry that you can identify mm-hmm. and become the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, find somebody like Ashley, you know, tell me your story. Find yeah. somebody who's doing it and saying, how can we matter? How can we make a difference? How can we really take this thing to the next level? And, and uh, man, let's bring back, let's, let's let the church matter again. Yes. Because if the church is relevant. We won't be having the conversation. What do we do with all these buildings now? Mm. Because they're going to matter to people. Last thought. You've heard me talk about this a lot. That we're since the first time since the early 1960s, the mortality rate in our nation is on decline. Because so many people are taking their own lives. Mm. That it is shrinking the life expectancy of the people of the United States of America. And um, there's two reasons, I believe, that people really take their lives. One is because they feel like they're in a hopeless situation and there's no way out of it. Mm-hmm. I, I read, um, I was listening to an interview of a farmer and they were asking him about the president's um, tariffs because it's really affecting the farmers negatively. And, and this guy's like, and they were trying to get him to say, well, you hate the tariffs. And he's like, look, it's terrible right now. He said, "Farmers have been having 1980 uh, pricing on their mm-hmm. commodities for the last eight to ten years," and he said, "As a result of that, the the suicide rate is on such a rise among oh, farmers." Yeah. Because they're looking at this family property and this family business has been passed down for generation to generation. And they're the ones losing it. Yeah. And now they're, there's no way out. So they're taking their own life. And the guy ended up saying, look, short term pain, if it gets us out of something that's been around for 10 years, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, I digress there. But when a person finds himself in a hopeless situation. Um, that's why the suicides on the rise are vets yeah, because they just feel like I'm going to be broken the rest of my life and I'll never be whole again. So it's really not worth living when it's a hopeless, endless end. There's no way out. People take their life. Second reason I believe people take their life is because they lose relevancy Mm. and then they feel like their life doesn't matter. Matter. So why is it worth living if my life doesn't matter? And so Both of those are two different interstates. You know, one is losing everything. And so he's so embarrassed he doesn't feel like living. And it's a hopelessness. The other one may have everything, but they're surrounded in million-dollar homes, uh, driving Bentleys and everything else. But they're saying, how do I even matter? Yeah, You know, and it's not just the homeless person under the Jackson Street Bridge or something that's struggling with this. Yeah. I mean, it is people who are so wealthy, but their life doesn't matter because when you get you think if I get all this, life's going to be okay Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and and, and I'll matter when I have everything that says I'm successful. You're right. Man, what drives me crazy is what happens when this new generation is no longer able to be a professional influencer or what happens when they don't make it big on their YouTube sensation.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, they are living in a virtual world. And they're looking at people as their icons, and they're saying, "That's who I want to be." But deep down inside, I mean, those people, those people are struggling with relevancy. And so, Ashley, man, I want to thank you for diving deep and telling us your story, and yeah, it was and, good. And just, it is so great to watch you matter. When I watch you work with uh, the kids, you know, matter of fact, Ashley came in my office yesterday and said, "I asked her about a meeting," and she said, "Well, we got to start younger."
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, you know we're starting with kindergarten. We're starting correct?
0: with yeah. We start our stuff with kindergarten.
1: Our mentor, our mentoring ministry. stuff. Yeah. And um, and she's like, we gotta start we younger. Gotta start and I'm like pre-K. And she's like, nope, younger. Pre-K. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> These kids are still in diapers. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, from a young age, we but here's what the reason like. you said
1: that because that's where a mom and dad starts. Mm-hmm. But now with the absence of mom and dad, yeah, there's nobody to start young. And so maybe you're out there and you're wondering, man, how does it matter? Look, you don't have to be a pastor to be relevant. You you may be a banker, you may be a baker, you may be whatever. Uh, I mean, you 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 may be an IT guy, whatever. You can matter in the lives of others. Yeah. If you will find what matters to you and let Christ fulfill you through that.
0: Man, that's such a good word. And I just want to I'm gonna bounce off of that and then we can go. you know, it's it's not just it's not just the, the job of the your church staff or your church pastoral staff mm. to reach the community. You 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 are the reason why we can reach those people. You know, you being in your workplace, you, you know, going to where you have fun and, and, and you know, chill and hang out and where your your friends are. You know, that's what matters. You matter in those places helps the church become relevant, too. So wherever you're planted, bloom.
1: Amen. Ashley, thank you so much for for uh, spending time with us today. And, uh,
0: I did. <laughs> you said "Bloom in Your Hood." That was one thing. Yeah, oh, I did. Man. "Bloom in Your Hood," people.
1: Yeah, that, yeah. I remember. What was that? Two years ago, y'all wanted it me was. to do that billboard, "Bloom in Your Hood." Yeah,
0: it was a camp. It was a camp payo. Well, it was 50.
1: Uh, I it had was. people saying "Bloom in Your Hood," "Bloom in Your Hood," and they're like, "Don't say that, bastard. Don't 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 go there. Don't put that on a billboard." <laughs>
0: man, it's good. "Bloom in Your Hood," people. Bloom, bloom your where you're planted. Bloom, you ma- y-
1: bloom where right you matter. Bloom right where you, you are, because that's where you're gonna matter. That's where you're gonna. And h- quit trying to most. be where God. Doesn't have you and be what he wants you to be, right Right where you you are, are. and he will take you to where he wants you to be. Amen. Uh, Last thought: Ashley's wrapping up, or maybe done with executive board builders in Central (laughs) Louisiana. Uh, if you don't believe me, God will take you where he wants you to be. Ashley's secret desire. She never confessed was that I could have some kind of nonprofit basically.
0: Basically. And,
1: uh, and then, so you ran across a radical guy like me and now we've started a separate nonprofit and then out of nowhere, God came to you and said, here's an opportunity. To become part of an Executive Board Builders for Nonprofits and stuff. Yep. And, uh, man, I just want you to know, when you are walking His will for your life, you don't have to make it happen. No. He makes it happen. You just have to sit back and enjoy the journey. Amen. So, man, if you're out there struggling today, fighting the good fight of faith, just keep checking your attitude. Man, keep checking your ego. hmm Egos are killing relevancy in the church. Yeah. Uh, Because hurting people, I mean, look, people, people see right through that. So, man, check your ego, pray hard, study God's Word hard, stay humble, but keep hustling hard. We'll see you next time.
0: thank you so much for joining us for this episode we hope you enjoyed and it blessed you if you would like to keep up with pastor brad you can follow him at facebook.com at pastor brad Webb, FOG. we'll see you later